Welcome to the New Money Review podcast. I'm Paul Amory, founding editor of New Money Review. Initial coin offerings, or ICOs, hit the headlines last year as the cryptocurrency mania exploded into the public consciousness. Yet, as cryptocurrency prices have headed downwards in 2018, there's so far no sign of the ICO bandwagon slowing down. According to CoinSchedule, ICOs have raised nearly $18 billion so far in 2018, compared to $4 billion in the whole of last year. Many commentators regularly refer to the ICO market as consisting almost entirely of scams. But others say they regard ICOs as the most important development in capital markets and fundraising for over a century. I've invited a well-known cryptocurrency expert, Giacomo Zucco, to share his views on the topic. Giacomo was trained as a theoretical physicist before devoting himself full-time to cryptocurrencies. He is the chief executive of BHB Network, which aims to provide a bridge between businesses and researchers in the areas of Bitcoin and blockchain technology. I started by asking Giacomo whether it is possible for the ICO market to be simultaneously full of frauds, but also a revolutionary new technology. So the idea is there, an idea is potentially disruptive. But just to make a comparison, uh, Bitcoin didn't, didn't come to, uh, into existence out of nothing. It, it came into existence after a, more than a decade of, uh, well, actually two decades, I would say, of uh, trial and, uh, trials and errors, uh, experiments, mistakes, uh, naive attempts. So there was uh, David Chaum trying to do e-cash, a pseudonymous uh, uh, money uh, scheme, uh, but it, it didn't work out. Then there was uh, the cypherpunks trying out with uh, uh, B-Money and uh, Arpo and Ashcash and a lot of exp- underground experiments that are never mentioned because they didn't succeed. They were they were incomplete. And uh, and then we had Bitcoin that uh, demonstrated to work, uh, is still trying to demonstrate that it could work in a complete uh, censorship-resistant, uh, unstoppable, unregulatable way. Uh, but still have to, to prove it and it's probably uh, going to uh, to prove it in the next years. So ICO tries to tries to do the ICO idea and movement and concept tries to do with uh, venture and shares and securities and equities and uh, and crowdfunding schemes what bitcoin did to money uh, just like with bitcoin we will need to wait for an evolution uh, and a revolution and a lot of te- or little technical revolutions and uh, people after bitcoin got impatient they think that they can get everything immediately. And uh, since Bitcoin was possible, now the market think, thinks that everything Bitcoin-like is possible by default, uh, just with, with some uh, buzzword collection on a white paper. Uh, so the, the reason that it's filled of scams is that uh, the expectation of disruption right now is uh, way higher than the uh, possibility of disruption based on our technical advancement. So if there was a Bitcoin bubble last year, ICOs, in a sense, are a bubble on top of the bubble. Yeah, absolutely. There was a contagion. There was a formal, an actual formal. So uh, these things, like uh, I've met a lot of startups that were telling me, I mean, I, I'm not sure about these ICO things, but all my competitors are doing ICOs and they will raise um, t- tens of millions. And I am stuck with VCs that can maybe give us hundreds of Ks of dollars, 
uh, in exchange for a lot of duties. And so how can I compete with these other uh, people in my space if I don't do an ICO as well? Giacomo, you've developed a conceptual framework for ICOs, which you call the ICO triangle. Can you explain to us how that works? So the I of initial, I try to frame it as representing investment. So uh, is this thing an investment? Because right now, uh, startuppers doing ICO, they want to attract investors, not just uh, not just buyers or the, of the service. They want capital. The, the, as Antonopoulos says, say that uh, this thing could disrupt VC. So we're talking about investment, uh, sec- financial securities like shares and something like that. The second, the second uh, letter C, uh, yeah, of course it means currency. But I try to frame it in this conceptual triangle like uh, a specific cryptocurrency-based, uh, crypto-based, uh, like uh, um, censorship-resistant, uh, decentralized uh, concept. So a Bitcoin-derived technology, which is especially built, this is my assumption, in order to make this system difficult to censor. Yep. So the C can stand for crypto, uh, crypto-based a meaningfully crypto-based because, of course, you can have a centralized uh, project, completely centralized project, and you just add some uh, crypto-sounding terminology like private keys and blockchain just to sound cool. Yeah. But the, the thing that uh, the C in my scheme stands for, you are actually really using and leveraging the uh, the Bitcoin-derived technology, set of technologies that make that can make a, pro- a, a project uh, difficult to censor and so difficult to regulate and difficult to stop. Yes. Uh, they identify this C as the things that make your asset easy to transact without any kind of limitation or, uh, or, uh, uh, or control over the transmissions of the funds. So to, to make uh, uh, gateways and uh, gatekeepers very, very difficult to implement to control the transmission. So free market transmission. The last letter, the O, uh, which is offering in the traditional uh, in tradi- the traditional acronym, I, I redefine it as official uh, or organization-based. Uh, so basically, uh, official means that um, this kind of project is not done by pseudo-anonymous hackers on a mailing list, which uh, pseudo-anonymous hackers, which are just... Uh, working on Git in order to implement their code uh, without uh, faces, without names, without social, uh, without social commitments, without uh, legal structure, but it's actually official. So you have an official legal entity with uh, lawyers, with uh, uh, something to sue, with, uh, with uh, some kind of assets to, to liquidate uh, eventually. Uh, you can arrest people. You can uh, at least you can sue people, and or you can at least blame people socially because their name can be uh, their their reputation is at stake and their face is at stake with this project. So officiality of the of the project. Yeah. So what I try to argue is that uh, you the, the ICO movement is based on the pretense to use all three of these characteristics, but I try to do a historical. Uh, historical review of the evolution of this concept, and I start from the uh, the movement that started with the first two letters, so I and C, investment based on crypto technologies without any kind of officiality, and I get it gets back to 
2015 or even 2014, in which many projects start to, started to launch uh, Satoshi Nakamoto-like projects, so an official project uh, completely avoiding and disregarding any regulation. So they were actually leveraging the crypto technology because these tokens of these early projects were exchanged pseudonymously uh, among uh, uh, just unknown people on the dark web or or, or, or on the white web, but anyway, without outside any regulated markets. And uh, the, the public sale was done uh, stating that these tokens were representing actually something like equities. So it was a clear uh, challenge to the uh, financial regulatory, uh, to the financial regulators. But the problem is that this, this first movement, which were promoting public investments based on permissionless and unstoppable crypto technology, uh, couldn't do two things. Basically, without an official organizational form, they couldn't first uh, convince the investor that they were somehow liable or, uh, they, or that the complex, right, the complex rights that this token were trying to represent uh, were very difficult to enforce, to be credible, because if uh, an anonymous programmer, an anonymous hacker comes to you and he says, run this code, uh, but there is no company, there is no public uh, face to blame, then you have to, uh, to, to, to understand how can you enforce the rights associated with this token. And without an official legal entity, that's very difficult to do. Uh, because you have no guarantees. Of course, you could have in theory, and that's one of the uh, possible uh, uh, expectations for the future, you could have an IC, so a cryptocurrency-based investment, completely unregulated, completely completely impossible to regulate, that self-regulates only uh, using uh, like technical devices. In a way, the, uh, we could say that partially the DAO uh, was a, an attempt in this direction. So the code was self-regulate. Just to be clear, Giacomo, you're talking about the decentralized autonomous organization, the DAO that was set up on top of Ethereum in 2016 and which was subject to a hack. So yeah, the DAO was an attempt to self-regulate with code, an attempt that, that failed terribly because because technology is not there and Ethereum is a solidity language is is a crazily insecure and there is no way to create anything safe and secure on top of ethereum right now but uh, uh, even uh, if the even if the promise was to self regulate from the right guarantees point of view they still couldn't launch pseudonymously so they don't fully uh, enter my ic uh, classification because they needed the social, the, the, the legal entity in order to uh, promote the stuff. So uh, the thing is that Bitcoin got, uh, got, got pr- presented by Satoshi Nakamoto on uh, a mailing list with, uh, uh, with a bunch of uh, nerds, uh, crypto nerds, cypher, cypher uh, punk, uh, crypto anarchist nerds. And then it slowly started to organically grow and organically spread around. But it took years in order to, to get what Bitcoin is now. So the, the DAO guys, they couldn't or they wouldn't, but actually they couldn't because their technology was potentially cool, but not as cooler, uh, uh, not as much cooler as needed in order to 
to organically spread just by word of mouth. So they needed to organize marketing. And that's a very fundamental point. You cannot organize marketing if you are a pseudonymous guy launching uh, open source code on the dark net. You can only organize marketing and push for adoption if you are a legal entity. So basically my point uh, is that the DAO was uh, already in a, a, a part of the second kind of, uh, of, um, uh, of experiments. So the first kind, uh, investment schemes based on cryptocurrency in order to be completely unregulated failed because you needed an organization first to enforce rights and second to, uh, to promote the thing with, with active marketing, which is something that you need an organization, a legal established organization for, with, uh, with a marketing budget, with events, with faces on the website and so on. So the second, uh, the second season of the IC movement uh, is the one I, simplifying of course, I try to frame as uh, basically CO. So yes, we do have O, so we do have an, official established, an officially established organization. We are still using cryptocurrency in order to uh, make it easy to, for unknown people to exchange anonymously uh, uh, on the secondary unregulated market, uh, these tokens in a way that avoid any kind of control. But the reason we don't go to jail is that uh, our tokens are not financial securities. They are uh, just utility tokens. So uh, being utility tokens, our is not an investment scheme. So we are not selling to unqualified investor an investment scheme. We are not facilitating from the point of view, for example, of an exchange. If an exchange, uh, exchanges that were trading the DAO token were actually, as per SEC, uh, uh, enabling the uh, unregulated secondary market of an uh, unregistered financial security. So an exchange is very, very uh, liable by the SEC uh, regulation, even if they are abroad, as you said, because you know that often U.S., uh, regulatory structures, they don't really care about borders. If, if, if there is any chance that you could have sold your regulated security to a U.S. citizen, then we will come after you wherever you are. So uh, the, 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 the utility token movement tried to take the second approach, which is, yes, we are using a cryptocurrency technology in order to make the token impossible to regulate and to control and to contain and to limit. So it will be free to trade because of crypto tech, but it's, it will be also difficult to censor, but uh, it will also have an organization that will be legally uh, responsible and socially responsible and, and it will be able to market for the solution and to push the solution commercially, but it's not a security because it is just utility. So the typical example of this is, I want to create a telephone company, uh, instead of uh, going to the, v to the VCs, I will sell to people uh, minutes of higher time before I even start the project. Then these people buy minutes of higher time from me. I use all the money to build my telephone company. And now I will grant to these people the rightful minutes of higher time. So is this a financial security? No, it's not. They, are, they just pre-purchased a product or a service of my company. Uh, if you really are, if you are really, really linking your uh, token with a unit of your service, 
and uh, or a, a unit product of your venture, then there is no reason in typically there is no reason that this token should grow in value when your business succeeds and grows. A typical example, getting back to my telephone company example, if uh, you, you, you buy the minutes of our time beforehand, uh, then I am honest uh, and I'm good at my job. So I build my telephone company. Now I, I'm honest. So I give you back the, uh, the, the, the minutes of our time rights, even because if I don't, you can sue my official organization. But now, uh, if uh, many, many people want to join my telephone company and everybody wants to use my telephone company, there is no reason the price of my minute of our time should go up. Actually, if ever, uh, if anything, since uh, b- because of economies of scale, the production cost uh, of my minutes of our time will go down. Uh, of course, you can go the other way around and you could say, yeah, I will give you this token. It's purely utility. But something that I will do, like uh, buy back and burn the token based on the profits of my company, this something thing that this something that I will do will give your token more scarcity and so more market value. So uh, you are basically hiding an investment scheme inside the utility token, and you are back from where you started because now the SEC can say, well, people is expecting this token to go up in value due to an action, an active. A promise of the company that is that so launched on this spectrum where would we place uh, the ethereum um, fundraising and where would we place the eos uh, sale that's recently taken place ethereum was a bit in between because what ethereum did was to create create an official company so they could use it for uh, for marketing uh, purposes then they shut down the company and they use the Ethereum No Profit Foundation in order to create the platform with money received as a donation from the for-profit company. So the, 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 they try to do a very, very complex legal arbitrage game uh, in a way that uh, the SEC decided that Ethereum is not the Ether, is not a security because it's like too big to, to, to fail and because there was a lot of lobbying around it. But even if they did decide to, uh, to consider the security, uh, there is not anymore around the legal entity that really raised the money. So Ethereum is, uh, I think it's uh, just in the, in, the, in the corner between the IC model uh, and the CO model. So EOS is uh, different and EOS is probably on the corner, it's probably on the border between the CO model and, uh, and the third side of my triangle, which is the OI model, uh, which is like this. Okay, uh, okay, SEC, I know that if I try to make this token a security, you will, you will just uh, come after me in order to try to regulate me or to make sure that I was regulated and following regulation when I launched. Uh, so yeah, I know that. I know that the problem with utility tokens is that if they really are utility tokens, there is no reason people should buy it. So, yeah, so what I said in my presentation was that the utility token model can just uh, end in two ways. One way is the market doesn't understand what an utility token is, so they give me a lot of money and, uh, um, and uh, uh, basically uh, I'm scamming them. EOS is very, very interesting in this perspective because if you, if you look at the EOS terms of service, 
uh, you uh, what they're what they're saying is that they are stating explicitly that uh, the EOS token not always is not a security, but is not even a utility. They say that the EOS token is literally nothing. There will be no uh, commitment to use this token for any purpose. Uh, no voting rights, no revenue rights, no profit sharing rights, no uh, nothing at all. And not even we will not even restrain the application uh, to, to require this token for payment. So it was a complete inutility token, let's say. The, hyst- the hysteria on the market was so high that if you create a token with no investment purposes, but you don't try too hard to explain to the market what you're doing, the market will buy it as a form of investment because that's that's the way everybody w- was thinking. Jacob, could you talk a little uh, bit about uh, the so, Telegram yeah. fundraising that took place earlier this year because they were planning to launch a public sale part of, it, of an ICO, but in the end they raised enough money to construct uh, their their future business from private sales. They didn't need to go the ICO route, but I'm just wondering what you thought of that in the context of the the three-sided uh, triangle you've been describing. So the Telegram guys, they also tried to stay in the second side of the triangle. So in the in the CEO, because of course they are an officially established organization. There is a, there is a company there. So they are not trying to be anonymous and just to, uh, to escape uh, regulation by being pseudonymous and cypherpunk and decentralized. They are a centralized project with a centralized entity with legal liabilities and they tried to sell something which was not equity uh, but just uh, taking advantage of a mark of a crazy market that would have promoted like uh, that would have treated this token just like an investment in telecom comp- in, in the telegram company so they were trying to leverage the uh, CO uh, kind of misunderstanding uh, they stopped uh, they stopped, as you said, because they, they had a, enough money from the private placement. Uh, also, I think they stopped uh, because uh, the regulators started to uh, to show to to be a little bit too much aware of what go, of what is going on with this utility mod, uh, utility token model. So I think that part of the reasons that Telegram didn't go public is for regulatory uh, concerns. Uh, about the ICO model. Part of the reason Telegram just uh, didn't took all the money that was on the table was for, uh, well, reputational and legal risk connected with all this utility token uh, movement at all. So we are selling to, to people something that in the worst case scenario is nothing, literally. And in the best case scenario, it's just a pre-purchase of our service. And, uh, and they are paying millions to us in order to buy this and they also like if you go on a telegram chat of uh, investors in ICO they will not tell you uh, let's buy some telegram tokens because I want to write a lot of messages they tell you let's buy telegram tokens because uh, I read their white paper and what they're going to build is huge and so we will profit from this token selling it on the secondary market so the third side was the uh, OI side. Basically, okay, we are a legal organization. We know that the, the only way to attract investment uh, without scamming people, selling them useless utility token, will be to, uh, to, uh, to actually sell 
some tokens that have security-like rights attached to them. So we will sell securities. So, okay, let's regulate uh, ourselves. Let's, uh, let's be compliant with security laws. So let's build companies that will sell utility token uh, that will be securities and that will be treated as securities and that will be uh, sold only to qualified investors or, uh, or to the stock market after all the compliance uh, eater you have to follow. And then we'll, we will try to KYC and AML, AML everybody and we will try to stop the secondary market from exchanging our token uh, outside the regulated uh, path because of money laundering, because of everything. And an example of this is, uh, is uh, the, the, like the Tezos, uh, the, uh, the Tezos uh, KYC process. And, uh, and actually, there, is, there are a lot of uh, other uh, examples, but this is just the more famous. So a lot of ICOs that uh, when they launched, People were just connected to an Ethereum wallet anonymously, pseudonymously. They were just sending Ether to a, an address, receiving back the token, and that's all. But now, in order to uh, to uh, to redeem the rights, associ- uh, namely associated to the token, since the, those rights represent financial securities, now they have to KYC, AML, and they have to actually... Uh, be sure that they are not trading with anonymous counterparties. And so uh, these guys are now turning back to regulated IPO model only with a cryptocurrency-based token on top of it. And my argument against this third model is that uh, all the all the effort and all the costs, the compliance costs, and all the, regu- uh, and all the regulatory barrier that will limit the liquidity of your of your investment, uh, so the barrier that will prevent unqualified investor from accessing, and and that will prevent your investor from exchanging freely on an unregulated uh, stock black market your token. Uh, all these frictions and limitation and cost are getting back to hit you, and you will just be no uh, in no way uh, cheaper or more convenient than a normal. Uh, IPO. So if you are a regulated ICO, you are just suffering all the legal limitation and the legal costs of a normal IPO. So uh, what's the reason to do that? Maybe in the future, the reason could be uh, twofold. Like one reason could be because of transparency. Uh, So right now, a stock market has to spend a lot of money into compliance in order to demonstrate the regulator that they are just not inflating the stocks arbitrarily. They're just not uh, uh, like uh, transferring stock from one, ac- one account to the other without consent. So they have to prove to the regulator that they are honest in a way. Blockchain technology in the future could prove useful to uh, limit this cost by uh, showing to the regulator that you are technologically compliant. Uh, so you don't need to be, uh, let's say, legally compliant as well. But this will take time. I mean, this cannot save you money right now. Is there anything that justifies the the hype? Uh, I'm not talking about the price action hype, but the the hype that's uh, made maybe by or the claims that are being made by some people that this is a, a fundamental uh, shift in the way uh, global fundraising uh, could 
take place you know a, a, something a bit a bit like the the invention of limited liability in the in the in the renaissance era and how that led to the modern corporation is you know is there anything in this uh, kind of chaotic movement that justifies such claims yes if we take these claims with a lot of care a lot if we take these claims very conservatively uh, with a lot of uh, caution uh, then theoretically yes and the reason, because I say yes, is that uh, the, the, the single uh, sides of the triangle could eventually work alone without the third element. Uh, an example would be a real IC, so a real unregulated and unstoppable and illegal, if you wish, uh, dark market uh, to, uh, security uh, sale. Uh, something that could be an example of that could be like the 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 centralized exchange project BISQ, uh, BISQ, they are building a decentralized platform without any kind of organization, even because the, the goal is to allow people to exchange Bitcoin with fiat without KYC or AML. So the goal itself is legally disruptive. And they are trying to do an investment scheme in order to uh, to sponsor in order to incentivize the work of the anonymous or pseudonymous developers uh, with uh, some kind of uh, royalty-like mechanism. Uh, This is very, very far to work properly, in my opinion. But if we will, it will be not a working ICO in my model, but at least a working IC. And this could be very disruptive because uh, uh, right now you have the option to either go with a company and make money uh, but be, being regulated or do an open source anonymous project and be unregulated but don't make money. Where do you see the ICO market in five years' time? I think that we will have a few examples uh, of the, IC, the purely unregulated IC part, but very few simple examples. Uh, but I think that in five years, it is realistic to see the first uh, unstoppable uh, paralegal or extra-legal venture dynamics without any kind of company or legal entity. Uh, Also, maybe in five years, we will see some uh, meaningful use of the blockchain technology for uh, standardization reasons uh, applied to regulated, uh, regulated IPOs. Thanks, Giacomo. It looks as though the experimentation around token-based decentralized fundraising has a long way to go and we have lots of iterations yet of the ICO model. Thank you for listening to this New Money Review podcast. You can sign up for our content updates at newmoneyreview.com. Join us in early September for our next episode.